The tragedy of machismo is that a man is never quite enough. Jermaine Greer. Everybody, welcome. We have another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and please say hello, as always we do at this time each week, to Mr. AJ Bass. Mo ritmo. Hey, what's going on there? <laughs> hey, hola, AJ. Hola, como estas? Oh, que tal? <laughs> <laughs> que tal? That's who I used to buy my cheap records from. Uh, anyway, folks. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap each episode and take an in-depth look at it. Uh, I give you uh, the view of someone who has never seen the show before. It is a first watch for me. And then we have AJ, who is a grizzled veteran among the criminal minds, seen seen each episode many times. And so he knows things that are going to happen and maybe some connections. Uh, he, He won't tell me exactly what they are, but he'll maybe give me a clue. And uh, it's a fun little dichotomy we have each week, AJ. Ooh, dichotomy, (laughs) using the SAT words, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we are recapping season one, episode 19 of Criminal Minds, which is entitled Machismo. Uh, It originally aired on April 12th, 2006. It was directed by Guy Norman B. and written by Aaron Zellman. Now, I will say last week, you sort of indicated that this perhaps was not your favorite episode of season one. So uh, we'll get into the recap and see if that stands and if I agree with you. So we'll just start it off with that. (laughs) Uh, 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 Mom, mom, mom is the word or mama is the word. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to I'm going to drop all pretense of like wait for it i gotta tell you this episode was problematic for me but we'll get into each part <laughs> yes it is yes <laughs> it's problematic so many levels. <laughs> and uh be- before uh before i start i do want to say any language that i use that may be outdated uh <laughs> is is from the time and maybe perhaps in 2021 this is really not aged particularly well, fair. Yeah. No, look, we can only critique the episode as it was written, not as we wish it had been. So, I mean, we can we can, yes. we can certainly state how we wish it had been or not at all. But <laughs> so anyway, let's start off. We uh, open with some Spanish guitar music playing and are immediately told it's the Day of the Dead in Allende del Sol, Mexico. We are at a cemetery or what looks like a cemetery that's decorated for the occasion We see several people drinking and celebrating. An older woman is talking to a child about a skeleton, and then a uh, young man arrives at the party, and he is clearly troubled since we've changed over to the uh uh-oh scary music. This young man is drinking a beer and staggering a bit. An older gentleman heads toward the man, and the older woman is like, Diego, no, no. The young man goes into 
at the nearby house. Diego follows him. The older woman and a younger woman follow after them. And we see a quick shot of a young man by a car that's looking upon the whole scene. There was a lot of young and old (laughs) descriptions there, but... it's it's a it's a setup where they're trying to tell the story without a lot of dialogue, and uh, since we don't really know the relationship with any of these people, it's going to take us a bit to catch on. But uh, at least they once they get in the house and start talking, uh, we get to get a better sense of the relationships with these people. <laughs> yes, uh, Diego asks the man what he's doing there because he's not welcome at this house. The older woman pleads with Diego to leave him alone, and the young man is like, this is my mom's house as well. Let her say I'm not welcome. Diego's sister, because Diego is her brother-in-law, it turns out, uh, the older woman, Diego's sister, is. she says nothing. The younger woman says, tell him to stay, mom. So we've immediately now got the relationship of these people. Yeah, it works out nicely. The mother, the son, and the daughter, and the brother-in-law. She can't bring herself to tell her son to stay. She's just quiet. The son is like, fine, I see how it is. You know what? I'm not going to disgrace this household anymore. Uh, And he leaves. He stumbles outside and his sister comes out and tells him, you know, his mom loves him. She'll come around. Uh, He says, not anymore. Uh, It's not going to work out. He'll be back later to pick up his things. He leaves. His mother comes out. And we cut to a point of view that's just over the shoulder of the man by the car we saw before. The mother and sister notice him watching, and they don't look too pleased to see him. It's, it's, it's a dramatic setup, let me tell you. It's <laughs> I, I gotta say, I'm watching this whole thing, and I don't know. I've, I've watched on Netflix. There's a series that just two seasons in now called "Who Killed Sarah," mm-hmm. and it's it's so over the top telenovela murder mystery and this just would fit right in to that scenario there where it's like i felt like i was watching it except not well <clears throat> well written uh, but but it is it is it's a lot it, it was a lot of that telenovela style a lot of it was looks it was glances it was use of pronouns so we don't really explain who we're actually talking about him her no say it can't <laughs> <laughs> gosh yeah, I will have to check that out though. The uh, that Netflix show, uh, would you recommend it? It's yeah, a- it's it's absolutely uh, to to use a phrase, bat poo insane. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we see a little bit later the mom is crying at a table, and somebody arrives who we don't see, and she's smiling and serving them some water, which she spills, and she gets up to go get a napkin. All of a sudden, the music starts getting. Scary, and we're getting these slasher movie vibes because when she comes back with the napkin, she realizes her guest is up to something, and that is punching her, uh, knocking her down. She tries to get away, but then we see a big ass knife, B A K trademark. (laughs) We see a big ass knife, and uh, it's pointed at her, and she starts screaming as we then cut to. A baby crying. The father yeah, before, trying before to... we get before we get to the baby cry. I just want to say, yes. right here, I, I realize this is television, but a lot of this case is going to hinge on we are trying to we are trying to figure out the BAU is going to try and figure out who this assailant is, and mm-hmm. family members and, and people keep getting raised as suspects. If you're going to show me a scene where the where the person goes no 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 and not 
Miguel, no. <laughs> right. Like, if she knows the person, she's going to say the name, probably. You know, I, it just seems that would be more natural. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, from the moment here, just the way it's even shot, I'm like, well, this is a stranger. So even even yes. with the, oh, she seems to know the person, like, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100%, which was one of the problems I also had with this episode. The Our main suspect, I never felt... Which can still be good, you know, oh, how is criminal, how is the BAU team going to um, now prove this person's innocence rather than prove somebody else guilty? Well, I mean, that's how they're going to do it, but. Yeah, in a weird way. I don't yes. know. But yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> problems. Issues. Uh, issues and problems. <laughs> anyway, uh, we cut to a baby crying and a father's trying to calm the baby. And why, well, AJ, it's Daddy Hutch. And oh, who I'm it. calling? This is who it. I'm calling. He's with Little Richard, as I'm calling him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so excited! I'm so excited! We're gonna finally learn the name of the Little Hotchner baby boy. Can I tell and you? My- Can I tell you? I wrote Little Hotchner baby boy's name down. He's carrying Little Hotchner baby. I put the actual name down and then had a frantically cross it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spoiler alert, we don't learn the name. <laughs> How? How? <laughs> this would have been the perfect opportunity. Uh, yes. Daddy Hotch has little Richard <laughs> and uh, his wife is there and his sister-in-law and it's all very cute and until the phone rings and his wife answers it and brings the phone to him and says, it's your wife. And of course, that would be Gideon on the phone. <laughs> and apparently Hotch has to go to some briefing. And his wife just takes an exasperated look and tells him to go. His sister-in-law gives him a little bit of grief. I'm like, hey, we got to keep these lights on. Am I right, Hotch? Uh, <laughs> you get a little establishing scene. Uh, maybe Hotch is having a tough, t- a tough time balancing his work with his home life. And his yeah, fatherhood. I mean, and on, and on top of that, I mean, you know, they, they, they've put up a sign and a banner because it's his birthday. It's Hutch's yes. birthday. So not only that, he's got to get pulled away on his birthday weekend, which clearly a sis is there to watch baby uh, so that they can go yeah. out on the town. And now that's clearly not happening. Uh, but, you know, if we're not going to give the name of uh, the baby... At least we also don't hear the name of Sis either, because she's just Sis. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lazy! <Good point. laughs> so uh, we cut to the BAU uh, office, and there's JJ passing out the packets, as she usually does, and informing the team about the murder that we just saw in Mexico. Our victim is 62-year-old Lupe Trejo. She was found in her home, stabbed in the face, chest, and genitals. Her murder has been connected to 11 others during the past two years, all elderly women. The papers are saying it's a serial killer. However, the Mexican government appears to disagree. Since a serial killer would be bad for tourism, they really want the serial killer experts to come down and interview their subject, their suspect. Uh, Lupe's son proved this was just a one-time killing in order to put to rest the whole serial killer angle. Okay, maybe this was... A one-time killing, but you still have 11 others. <laughs> but there anyway. is that. Yes, there is that. I mean, I'm just disappointed once I hear that the victim's name is Lupe Trejo. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, 
oh, is Mache going to come? Danny Trejo, Mache is going to come in here and open up a can of whoop-ass. Awesome. No. Spoiler alert. No. No, no Danny, Danny Trejo. Trejo. <laughs> Morgan is like, so we're going all the way down there to prove that they don't have a serial killer. Gideon's like, maybe, or we'll confirm what the papers say, that they've got one of the worst serial killers that the country has ever seen. Uh, let's go. And before they go, the camera kind of pans over to Hotch. He does not look happy, obviously, pulls out his cell phone and Gideon kind of looks at him. And I, I can't tell what his emotion was here, but he says, you know what? Call from the car. <laughs> Call from the car. You know, you think Gideon's going to say something like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, or, you know. Ah, uh, you know, sucks to be you, or no? It's just like call from the call, call, call later. Don't call here. Let's keep let's keep moving. Like we yeah. want to hear what happens. He's <laughs> like a ghoul. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I thought kind of cold blooded, but also kind of funny, and <laughs> all one hundred percent Gideon. Uh, then we get our credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. We see our BAU jet in flight, so they're not going to drive to uh, Mexico. And Hutch gives us our opening quote. Anthony Brandt wrote, other things may change us, but we start and end with family. Oh, that's awesome. It's all about family and the time we spend with family, especially on important occasions like birthdays. And oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hutch is sitting there in the jet, not looking happy. And JJ's like, hey, at least you get to spend your birthday weekend in Mexico. <laughs> and Hotch is like, yeah, how do you say doghouse in Spanish? Which, of course, Reed immediately answers. And may I say in, an, in a horrible accent, La Casa del Perro. <laughs> uh, immediately, L corrects him. No, La Casita del Perro. He says, that's uh, what I said. <laughs> and they all seem surprised that L speaks Spanish. And she says she's full of hidden mysteries. <laughs> Jeez. That's uh, a little much. I mean, I, I'm personally surprised that she speaks Spanish as well because, you know, she, I mean, it hasn't come up. But like you'd think they would know. Like, like, hey, you know, if we ever have a Spanish person that we need to talk to, let's have someone yeah. who's bilingual do it. Like, they, they probably should have known. <laughs> I would think that was something, you know, she would even maybe put on her resume when she first... <laughs> This is what I'm saying. I mean, granted, granted, they haven't been to Mexico before. <laughs> so anyway, in this scene, they break down why the serial killer is seen mostly as an American phenomenon and that many Mexicans believe that a person becomes a serial killer due to a breakdown in the family. And Reed says it's it is a fact that there are 12 times as many broken families in the U.S. than in Mexico. And then he looks back at Elle uh, to approve his pronunciation, and she shoots a little finger at him like, yeah. <laughs> and, it's a nice uh, little subtext thing, because that's clearly not in the script. That's something that they did themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and JJ says, so it's possible that there are fewer Mexican serial killers. Gideon says it's possible. But in his experience, evil is not a cultural phenomenon. It's a human one. Maybe it's just they don't see what they don't want to see. <laughs> right. We cut to the team pulling up to the police station in Mexico. Interesting to me, but probably nobody else. They pull up in actual police cruisers instead of their normal uh, BAU SUVs. Well, they didn't uh, bring them with them. 
This is this is what they <laughs> yes. were given at the at the airport. I'm, I'm with you. Yes, I would have hoped that they maybe rented some SUVs, but okay, uh, it's all right. I'm the only one who's obsessed. Now, would they be SUVs, SUVs in Mexico, or would they, they be like VUSs because of the placement of adjectives uh, and <laughs> vehicular the utility? That is something. That is something we can look up, AJ. <laughs> I'm not going to, but... Uh, so, apparently, we get our local police for this episode. Who comes out? He immediately shouts out Gideon, and Gideon is like, Hey, Captain Navarro! Uh, apparently, this captain was put in charge of the case by the Attorney General uh, because he knows Gideon from a sem- seminar that he gave previously on sexual homicide in Latin America. And he also says that he just read a chapter about it in Max Ryan's book. Hey, we know uh, who Max Ryan is. <laughs> right. Uh, Gideon's like, where do you think I got it from? And Navarro cracks that he didn't think Gideon liked him because he would always tell him his profiling techniques won't work in Latin America without a better understanding of the culture. And Gideon's like, I guess we're about to find out. And then they head out. Gauntlet throne <laughs> and just, just yes. Gideon's like yeah by the way i got some new word search puzzles i'd like to share with you <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut to them driving to the scene and ella's asking in spanish what navarro thinks gideon has wrong about his culture navarro starts to an- answer in spanish but gideon is like ingles por favor uh, navarro says gideon didn't take into account two powerful influences on Mexican culture, which are family and machismo. Hey, title. Episode title. Yes. The district attorney uh, general, they say sometimes they say district attorney general, and sometimes they just say attorney general, and I got kind of confused. But well, we will, is she we will the attorney general of... Yeah, it will meet her eventually. I think she's the attorney general of the district, so she's the district's so, attorney general. Um, okay, so it's I, not I, like I, the yeah. of the whole country. Yeah, I just kind of called her angry lady. <laughs> yes, yes, we will see that shortly. Um, anyway, the district attorney general put Nar- Navarro on this case when she realized that he had a relationship with Gideon. She is the one who had him invite Gideon down to assist. Gideon lets him know that they might not be providing the answer that they want. And Navarro is like, do you think the papers are right? Elle asks, what are the papers saying? He hands a paper to her and she translates its headline for us. There's a serial assassin who's killing elderly women in local towns and the district attorney and authorities are moving very slowly. Yeah, well, it was more, that was more like, than just the headline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was like yeah. the first couple sentences, but yes. Point being, yes. Basically yes. reiterating what we know thus far. There's a lot of reiterating what we know thus far in this episode, AJ. Really? <laughs> yes. So they're in the car uh, and Elle is talking to the... No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, every time in this scene they show Hotch in the backseat, he has just got that, that glower He's working it full time. I mean, he usually has it, but I thought he was even glowering harder uh, this particular (laughs) episode. If if he had a thought bubble the entire episode, it's, it's my damn birthday. (laughs) And I'm here. (laughs) We arrive outside the crime scene and all of the Day of the Dead revelers look like they're still out and about doing their thing. 
Morgan asks, what, what is all this? And a deputy says, uh, the Dia de los Muertos. So Reed explains the Day of the Dead meaning. And the deputy says, it sounds like he's reading that right out of a book. And Morgan's like, nah, brah, trust me. He's always like that. And Reed says, actually, I was reading. I picked up this pamphlet at the airport. <laughs> it's cute. It's I, li- cute. I like that. At this point of the season, you know, that's, that's a cute uh, thing to, to do there. Although I, you know, I, I did learn something from this. I didn't realize Day of the Dead was uh, a multi-day festival. Three days. Yeah, I yes. thought it was just the November 1st, but okay. It's several days. Cool. Good to know. So Navarro says, as uh, profilers, I thought you'd want to see the crime scene before we interview the suspects. And Gideon's like, ah, you remembered something from my lecture. And Navarro's like, no, I got this from your mentor, Max Ryan's book. I'm like, damn, Navarro, (laughs) not giving Gideon any break here. (laughs) Well, remember that part in chapter 23 when he said, uh, Gideon's good, but he's not as good as I am. Make sure to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Navarro tells them information we already know that the victim is Lupe Trejo. Uh, she was found by the daughter. There was no signs of forced entry at the house. There's a lot of people around, which Hotch asks if that's always the case. But Navarro says, no, church just got out and they're walking home from the town square. Gideon asks when she was killed, and Navarro thinks sometime around the evening mass because there wouldn't have been many witnesses around. So they go into the house. They remark that no sign of forced entry means one of two things. A push-in holding a knife or a gun to force her way his way in. But in this case, the murder weapon was a knife from her kitchen, so she actually probably knew her killer and let him in voluntarily. Fair. They uh, ask Navarro if he's run any DNA analysis on the glasses that are on the table. And Navarro's like, yeah, we got a detective here who has a fingerprint kit from 1984. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, slow your roll, Mr. Big Time. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they did determine that Lupe's fingerprints were on one glass and the fingerprints on the other glass were too smudged to take. But he doesn't think the killer drank from it anyway, because this drink was tamarind water, which in their society wouldn't be offered to a man. A man would have tequila, beer, cigarettes, something like that. Uh, this drink is too sweet. It's This setup looks like something two women would have. Hotch is like, you don't think a woman could have done this? And he's like, do you? And Hotch admits it's probably not likely. They decide they're going to get the glasses to the FBI to at least see if they can figure out the gender of the other drinker. Yeah, and you can DNA that get chromosome markings and stuff like that with our technology that's a lot more advanced than just a guy with a fingerprint kit from the <laughs> 80s. Uh, yeah, you know, look, we're, we're talking about the culture of Mexico uh, at this time. So we can't put our cultural map onto it and comment on it, you know, like, you know, right. well, sure, it might be a guy who likes tamarind water. Like, you know, all right, fine. You know, odds are that's not the case. Sure. We'll go with it. Right. Uh, Navarro next takes them uh, to where Lupe was killed. Gideon puts on his gloves and starts looking around. Navarro asks him what he's looking for. And Gideon says, why? Why did the unsub choose this victim? Why did she feel safe letting him inside? Uh, He does pull a picture of Lupe's son out of a drawer and asks if that's her son. Navarro confirms it's Miguel, Lupe's son. 
And Gideon notes she might must have had a problem with him because she's got family pictures displayed everywhere, but none of them were of Miguel. Miguel was tucked away in a in a drawer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you don't have to be a BAU profiler to go. She disapproves of him and is hiding his picture for some reason. So then Morgan and Elle are in the daughter's room. Morgan is saying the unsub took jewelry out of the daughter's room. And do they think he did it before or after he killed the mother? And Elle says after this was a sexual homicide. Homicide when a killer is looking for a sexual release. Items are usually taken as an afterthought as trophies. But he did leave jewelry on the victim, which Elle says is a common sign of remorse that they're showing a small amount of respect for the dead. And Morgan's like, very small, if you ask me. (laughs) Ding, ding. (laughs) Yes, we agree, Morgan. Uh, They all meet out front and Gideon is telling Navarro that they are almost certainly looking for a heterosexual male because the crime indicates this was a sexual sexual attack and heterosexual males in this case are going to be your sus- your profile for killing women in this manner. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, they explain it like, you know, you're going to attack what you're sexually interested in, which rules out yes. <laughs> people who aren't interested in women. Exactly. I mean, that makes perfect sense. They want to know uh, what the daughter has to say, but she's basically stopped talking once she found out that her brother was a suspect. The team uh, then decides they want to go talk to the suspect, and Navarro's like, yeah, but you got to meet somebody first and we cut to the next scene and this is uh the aforementioned attorney general she's very businesslike she's uh talking to some officials navarro introduces her maria sanchez the attorney general don't be afraid (laughs) she uh gives a very quick hello glad you're here to help prove the papers are lying just gonna let you guys get to business Peace out. She immediately ducks out of the scene with her her uh, whole assembled crew following her along. Yeah, you said peace out. I said, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she ain't hanging around. She's like, oh, good. I'm so glad you're here to do what I want you to do. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. And Navarro says she's even worse in Spanish, which gave me a little chuckle. And Hans even smiles uh, through all his misery there. He puts a little, little quick uh, little upturn of... of that's funny. Because we all recognize, yeah, <laughs> and we all recognize government people are the worst, yes, right? Indeed. Uh, <laughs> cut to inside the police station. Navarro is saying that the neighbors heard a big fight between the mother, her son, daughter, and brother-in-law. Apparently, Uncle Diego has a solid alibi. He was he was hanging out with Aunt Dora and Boots the monkey. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get it at some point. <laughs> Okay, it's a good one. It's a good one. However, they did happen to catch Miguel trying to flee the country. The sister Rosa is sitting there. She's been sitting there since she found out her brother was arrested. She seems to think he's innocent. And Navarro says, ah, the dutiful sister. (laughs) Everyone's playing their roles so perfectly. It's like, you know, basically Navarro's like, Hey, look, we're in Mexico. Everyone's a perfect stereotype of exactly what you'd expect out of Mexico. And she's no different. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> we then cut to uh, Miguel's cell. They're at, talking to him, interviewing him, asking him what the fight was about. He immediately starts saying he didn't hurt her. She didn't want him to go. She was angry. Gideon sits next to him and starts talking to him in a kind manner and saying, 
No, it was it was more than that, Miguel, wasn't it? You had problems with her for a long time. What are you what are you hiding? What truth is so terrible you won't defend yourself against killing your mother? What truth is so terrible that she's hiding your pictures in a drawer? Then he pauses and when did you first know Miguel? Miguel's like, what, homie? Uh, Gideon <laughs> says, that you're a homosexual. And more importantly, when did your mother find out? Miguel looks kind of shaken up and he starts saying, no hablo inglés. <laughs> yeah, which is a perfect way for us to realize that he's uh, totally way off base, right? <laughs> and that this is about as much admission of, of uh, the truth of the statement as you're going to get, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We then cut to Navarro's office, and he's asking Hotch how Gideon knew. Hotch is like, you told us, machismo and family. You knew he was gay, and you knew a gay man couldn't have committed this murder. That's why you asked about the sexuality of the killer at the crime scene. You knew Miguel was innocent. Hotch seems kind of PO'd here <laughs> at Navarro. Yes. And, uh, I get it to the extent that a lot of times these local yokels uh, give the BAU a hard time, especially when they're not the ones who've directly asked them to come in and help. But at the same time, he's like, his response is like, hey, you know, like, I knew, but I want to make sure you figured that out on your own without me telling you. <laughs> And you've proven yeah. me right. This is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. And Hotch is then like, oh, so we're just all pawns in your political game. And Navarro's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to play whatever politics I need to play to catch this killer and protect the women of my city. So I, I'm, I'm on Navarro's side here, I guess, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, especially when you say, like, look, if I, if I say he's innocent because he's he's gay, like that's that's not going to fly here. I mean, I get it and you get it. She's not going to get it. So we, I needed you to come right. at it from a different angle. And like, there we go. <laughs> right. After a break, we cut back to Gideon telling Navarro that the best way to bring their attorney general on board is to provide a complete profile. So Navarro asks what they're going to need. They say the case files. He agrees. But he also warns them that the locals aren't used to these types of crimes. So these files are going to have a lot of basic info missing. B-O, B-O, B-A-U <laughs> also has to get uh, the full story out of Miguel Trejo so they can prove either, you know, he's innocent or that this was not one of the serial killings. They wonder why he won't talk. And Navarro says it's because he is homosexual. He's likely to be killed if he gets transferred to a prison uh, in Mexico City. While he's here, I can protect him. But if he gets transferred, he's going to get killed if they find out he's gay. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, as, as problematic as that is to hear, it's probably true. So, it, you know, it's it puts, also puts Navarro in a much more positive light. That Look, this guy is doing everything he can. He's a good guy, period, end right. of discussion. So uh, I like the fact that he's like totally on board with everything. And he, look, I'm, I can't change the society on my own. I just got to deal with uh, – this is the truth of the matter. I got to do what I can do. Rita asks, how are they going to get uh, Miguel to talk? We then cut to them talking to the sister, Rosa. They ask her about the fight. She doesn't want to say anything. And they tell her that they know about her brother. And if she doesn't help them, he may go to prison and he may get killed. She then thinks about it and says, well, Miguel has this friend, dot, 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 <laughs> uh, Roberto. Yeah, we can infer what that means. Uh, he was outside the house that day waiting for her brother. He saw the whole fight. 
She doesn't think that Miguel saw him uh, and she didn't say anything before because she didn't want to let them know he was gay. They say, but we're talking about the man who may have killed your mother. She says they don't understand how bad it is. They don't understand the shame. They don't understand what people will do to them. She just lost her family. She can't lose Miguel as well. She says, la familia es todo. Family is everything. I mean, yeah, as I said, it, it, it sucks, but you understand why that's her motivation. But yeah, you're, you're just like, look, you didn't do it. There's another suspect. Tell us about the other suspect. <laughs> like, right. you, you lose either way by saying nothing here at this point. So, eh. yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. We cut to a little bit later. Elle is saying... Yeah, Rosa came clean, but uh, she still thinks that she's hiding something. Gideon says the way she was talking about shame, it was almost like she was talking about herself. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Navarro then comes in with uh, some interesting new information. Before Roberto met Miguel, he had a wife. They say, well, if he's bisexual, that makes him capable of the sexual homicide of a woman. If he blamed Miguel's mother for denying their relationship, maybe that would give him a motive. So now they have to find Roberto. I would think they'd probably have to find Roberto in any event. <laughs> I mean, he was a witness and he was there. And so he's a suspect, period, based on that. I mean, I I, I hate that. Well, let's invent that he was he had a wife uh, for the script just for giving a motive. Well, he still could have done it. It just makes it less likely, and he, they were going to interview him anyway, so I don't think we needed this. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. As soon as they heard about Roberto, they could have just said, oh, let's go get him. <laughs> exactly. Let's see what he knows. You, you, don't, you don't even have to make it a suspect at this point, but, you know. Right. So we then cut to a taxi stand. Uh, Roberto is getting out of a cab. I didn't know exactly the deal is because he's passing money to a guy there. That was at waiting at the taxi stand. So maybe this is like a dispatcher or some kind of something to do with the job. I didn't really get what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm like, is, is, is it his cab? Is he the cab driver? <laughs> yeah. He, is he paying the driver because he just got dropped? It was very confusing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter for. Doesn't anything, matter. Yeah. But at the same time, you're like you're watching. It's like what 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 is going on here? Could we just have just met him like walking down the street? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but if it is the dispatch and he's a cab driver, that at least you know well that makes sense that they knew where to find him at this point because he was at work and this is where he's going to have to check in at some point. So I guess mm, poor, yeah. poorly translated because it doesn't really translate to you know I don't know anybody who as an outdoor street stop for handing off of dispatch money. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Except for in the Heights. You know, if people wanted to watch either this or in the Heights, <laughs> I would probably recommend in the Heights. You think? <laughs> or, uh, this, anyway. Uh, yeah. So uh, Navarro and the team come up to Roberto. We've got to talk. So they start to walk so that they're not talking in front of all the other people there. Roberto immediately starts in with that he would never hurt Miguel's mother. She was very kind to him. She was always trying to accept him. But her brother-in-law, Diego, made her feel bad for that. People like Diego make it impossible for them that they're never going to accept them. Morgan asks why he followed Miguel to his house and why was he watching Rosa and her mother. Roberto says he and Miguel were fighting all that day. Miguel got drunk. 
So he followed because he was worried that he would get into some kind of trouble with his uncle. Gideon says, what did you see? Roberto immediately was like, I'm not going to turn against Miguel. Miguel did not do this. And Gideon's like, no, I just asked what you saw. You were watching the place. Miguel recalls that he saw some kids playing. And oh, yeah, some woman, a heavyset woman, maybe in her 40s or 50s, looked like she was a social worker. She had papers and a badge. She was going door to door asking questions. Hmm, that's peculiar. (laughs) Yes. They thank Roberto. He leaves. And Navarro then explains it's common for social workers or nurses to come out from the city, visit elderly women, explain their benefits to them, help them out. Morgan says, so it could be that the victim invited the social worker inside and or maybe she was the one given the tamarind water. And Gideon says, well, she could be their best witness. So Navarro says he'll check it out with the local services. Okay, fair. I mean, again, I don't understand the the cultural uh, significance of social workers coming to visit. Thanks, Obama. But, uh, you know, (laughs) know, that's what Navarro says. See, this is a good use of Navarro. He's like, hey, okay, in America, you might not understand this, but this is common here. Like, in America, but here in Mexico, like, Mm -hmm. this part of the episode works. Like, I like this guy. Again, there's two types of local help. And one is, hey, I like this actor. I like the performance. I like, I like, hey, there's good energy. And then there's the... I don't know why the BAU got to come in here in my territory. <laughs> right. And it's always fun when the the local person is is really involved. And I, I felt like uh, Navarro, I mean, he was definitely key to this episode Absolutely. and key performer. Absolutely. We cut back to the police station and Morgan is saying he doesn't think Roberto did it the way he talked about Miguel. He didn't point the finger at him like a guilty man might have. Gideon says to see if he's got an alibi and see if his fingerprints are at the scene. At the mo- at the moment, though, he feels comfortable that a family fight wasn't the reason for this particular murder. A cop comes in and tells them that there's a call from the FBI, and I'm like, I bet I know who that is. Mm-hmm. And here she is. And yes. this scene, I don't understand one bit. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Morgan puts her on speakerphone, which I don't think is necessarily always safe with Garcia. (laughs) But uh, he puts her on speakerphone and it is Garcia. She mumbles her way through some kind of greeting in Spanish. And Morgan is like, "Uh, take it easy. I think you may have just offended someone's mother. And Garcia is like, shut up. I took French. Morgan says, Penelope, your last name is Garcia. And she says, I know, that's my stepfather's name. Now, do you want my genius or not? <laughs> I mean, you know, on, on the one hand, it's, 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 it's good reference because, you know, you look at Penelope Garcia and you don't think Latina, you know. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's a good way to get that out of the way. It just is kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. And this conversation, like, this is precisely what you don't really want on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. I, you know, again, it's just the whole thing. Like, if she wouldn't talk in broken Spanish, like, I don't know, all right, whatever. It's okay. Yeah. What, is, what does Garcia have to say? Why did she call? Not, <laughs> not certainly not for this wacky banter. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I I'm kind of enjoy like Elle is always put in the role of being the one who like, hey, get on with it. <laughs> um, in this case, uh, and so she says she has the fingerprint data on the glasses they sent. They show that the genders uh, were one female and one male. 
Yeah, well, it's the DNA uh, evidence. The, there was no fingerprints. Right. They were smudged because you couldn't tell from fingerprints whether it's male or female. But it was DNA uh, left yes, behind. Correct. Sorry. So saliva. You could at least tell gender. I mean, they're not going to catch anybody from that. But okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Navarro is like, it's pretty strange on this occasion that a man was taking this drink. And then Reed says, unless the victim thought he was a woman. <laughs> what, what a stretch. What a jump. <laughs> yes. What if the social worker was really a he dressed in women's clothing? He comes to the door, knocks on it. The victim feels comfortable. They think it's a woman. Uh, Navarro says it would explain why no witnesses come forward because no one could possibly believe the killer could be a woman, not in this country. And Elle says, or ours. So now they decide, decide it's time to give the locals the rest of the profile. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I think the whole point was that they needed the profile so they could tell the district attorney general what was up. Not so much the, the locals, but okay, sure. Let's have our profile <laughs> scene uh, south of the border. Yeah, we, we cut we, to we our don't, profile. We don't, need the scene. we don't need the profile. We have the profile. We, we just work the profile ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they go over the whole thing with the, we think he's a man who's wearing women's clothing. Uh, he stabs them. He abuses them sexually. He might not have always been a killer. Maybe he started off with, you know, minor peeping Tom incidents. And then that eventually led to rape. And then at some point he couldn't rape anymore. So he began killing the women who represented the authority figures in his life that he hated, typically a mother, grandmother, or any kind of woman he could blame for his impotence. They don't have any kind of connection yet between the victims, so they don't know how they've been targeted. But based on the number of times he's killed and his skill at gaining the victim's trust, they can assume that he plans his murders and has been committing sex crimes for many years. They think he's somewhere between the ages of 35 and 50. And by the way, may I say, I think this is probably the first time they haven't said a white male between 35 and <laughs> But um, in Mexico, I guess that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> so they need to talk to all the known sex offenders, compare them to the profile, and re-interview all of their witnesses to see if anyone saw a man who might have dressed as a woman. And, and Hotch closes with gracias, and the cops actually <laughs> smile and chuckle at that, which I thought was a nice little touch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, he's trying. <laughs> he is. He is. Navarro comes over and says, just found out that they have another body. We cut to that crime scene. We've got Isabel Santiago, 67, no signs of any forced entry, stabbed in chest and genitals. Elle also spots some abrasions on her neck and finds some beads that were perhaps taken, which indicates maybe she had some kind of necklace that was taken from her. It's it's not quite the same MO that's happened before. So what was different about this particular victim? They walk outside. Navarro tells them for the past two years, they've had an average of one killing every nine weeks. And now they've had two over three days. Gideon says that's a pretty extreme escalation. He'll kill again soon. They spot the daughter of our current victim, and Morgan says maybe she can tell them about the necklace. So we cut to uh, Elle talking to the daughter, Anna, in Spanish. She asks if they can talk to her. She says yes. Elle asks, then back in English, uh, about the necklace that was taken. Anna said that uh, her mother bought it for her for her birthday. She never bought jewelry for herself. 
She asked if she could wear it during this holiday. And Morgan says, so the necklace was yours. Anna says, yeah, it was my favorite. I wore it almost every day. Hotch comes over and whispers to Morgan that Navarro says there's some kind of disturbance at the police station. So they're going to go back and check it out. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wish there was just more in this episode of just everybody talking in Spanish. Uh, I, I, I get that this is an American television show, but I can read. I think the viewers can read. It, it, it just, it's just more authentic. You know, a couple of people can be bilingual, certainly. Uh, yeah. Or you can do that trick that some shows do where you fade, you know, you suddenly fade from the one language into English and you kind of like just do it in a way that this can see like, yeah, they're still talking Spanish, but we realize you're, you're, you're probably an English speaker. So you, you can do that. I mean, just the fact that every victim just happens to be perfectly bilingual is, is kind of sick. And it, it also bothered me that in two cases that I can specifically think of, but probably more if I paid more attention all of the English was like perfect American English rather than someone with a, with a Spanish accent that yeah. you would expect to find in Mexico. Like maybe one person would be like that, but I wouldn't expect them more than one person to be like that. Yeah, well, you know? like, like Does Navarro, that make any sense? Yeah. Like Navarro sounds like someone who is Mexican, but happens to be fluent in English. It, it, you can still, the voice doesn't change when he switches from Spanish to English to the point where it's like, like you know, see, si, senorita, I will talk yeah. to you. <laughs> right. Um, and I did feel that the sister here and then another character we're going to meet soon both sounded like they were just, you know, anywhere in America speaking English rather than. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's not, not a good look. So anyway, they go to the police station next and we see a crowd out there screaming and they're all for some reason on a, on a second level. I just thought that was weird. Like they, they had the crowd up there on the second level of the police station, like a, a, a veranda or something like looking over. Uh, but anyway, that's where the crowd was. Yeah, no, it definitely was. It definitely was like a, uh, a Roman Coliseum where they were, they were the, uh, the spectators and the gladiators are down below and you can hurl your vegetables yes. at them. <laughs> and then we see a police van. They're taking some suspects and it appears to be a large number of cross-dressers, drag yeah, so, queens, so, suddenly, how you want to call them. Suddenly RuPaul's Drag Race cast comes out yeah. and, and that's all all the people. They've rounded up every drag queen, transvestite or anyone who's like, hey, you told us to round up all the guys who dress as women. <laughs> no one said that. Yeah. Navarro walks up to a deputy and asks what's going on. He's like, we're just doing what the FBI said, bringing in all the sex criminals. Navarro asks Hotch, what, he, what did they tell him? Which kind of is weird to me because I felt like Navarro was there the whole time. No, Navarro How wasn't does... there because he came in later and said he, was, he ended that meeting saying, hey, there's been another killing. He was probably on the phone somewhere and didn't hear anything that Hotch okay. said. So it actually does That's make fair. sense. But it's just like still <laughs> like – but, you know, basically Navarro's got to like, look, what are you doing? My my cops are idiots, is basically what he's saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Hotch is, yeah, Hotch is just like, we told them that he there's a possibility he dresses like a woman. We told them to look for people convicted of sex crimes. We did not mean this. <laughs> and uh, poor, poor drag, drag race contestants. <laughs> uh, I felt bad, so bad for them in that uh, particular scene. Yeah, so basically what we're, what we're saying is, Aaron Hoshner, the time has come for you to give a profile for your life. 
Good luck. <laughs> You're sure to fuck it up. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the car pulls up and our district attorney general whooshes in, heads over to them. She's ticked off. She's like, these people were supposed to put uh, the ideas of a serial killer to rest. And instead, they've made us look like a joke. Navarro is trying to calm her down, saying it was a misunderstanding. And she's like, well, it won't happen again. It was a complete waste of time and tells Gideon they can go home. And then she takes off with her entourage. <laughs> she just kind of whooshes in, says what she has to say, and whooshes out. <laughs> After a break, we're back where we left off. And Navarro is talking to the team outside the police station. He says, these police aren't stupid men. They're frustrated. They've read the papers saying that they're ineffective. They want to prove that they're not. They will do this any way that they know how, basically. Hotch says, we told them the suspect was probably a man dressed as a woman. We didn't say round up all the transvestites and bring them in. I'm glad you didn't say that, Hotch, because now in this day and age, we know we don't really say transvestites. Uh, you know, but it, yeah, it's look, there's there's a lot of problems, but. Uh, in the moment when you're angry and upset, like, it's like, not yeah. what I said. Like, you know, he's, I can understand this utterance here. It's a, a lot of this episode, especially what Gideon says next, it shows that the writers are at least trying to not use a broad brush to paint the scenario. Right. right. Uh, Gideon says, uh, well, a cop asks first, why is it impossible that this man is a transvestite? And Gideon says, that's not what we're saying. Men dressing like women, it's a manifestation of sexual preference. It's a lifestyle. It does not imply a psychology of violent behavior. It's not a mental illness. It's not. Yes. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with these people. But that doesn't mean that one person in this group can't be the killer. Because killers exactly. are part of every group. So, yes. It, 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 they do a decent job here, I think. Especially for the time. We, we don't have necessarily the language uh, at that time. And, and look... You, we're going to see some stuff 20 years from now about today's television that's going to be problematic as well as we work <laughs> through gender issues and things like that. So, you know, you get you got to judge the show for where it is. And this is actually quite progressive for the time. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, like I'll watch uh, an old episode of Good Times, Jefferson's All in the Family. They wouldn't get away with a lot of <laughs> uh, the language. Uh, in this day and age that that I enjoyed and was laughing at back back in the day and even now if I watch those episodes exactly and that and those were the most progressive shows at the time because at least they were talking about the issues so it's you know you, you gotta you gotta meet people where they are and when they are <laughs> like this wouldn't fly today but you can't fault uh, you know people for not having a time machine to change the culture and move it forward right. So anyway, Hutch tells them that they're looking about information about the killer's past. That's why we asked that people who were arrested for sex crimes be taken in. Are you looking into this? Navarro says, well, how? Most of our rapes here aren't even reported. Uh, and usually the rapists are people who have power over the victims. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's even law enforcement. None of these women want to talk. And there was a there was a moment here, which I, which I did catch, where... 
when he says some, you know, some are basically even done by law enforcement. And Borges, his little assistant there, raises his eyebrows like, oh, like what? Almost as <laughs> like totally shining, like, oh, maybe it's Borges. <laughs> like there was just a guilt that ran through him at one point. It turns out that's not the case, but I, I did notice it. At least that's a great way to to throw a red herring in there. Is like just have an actor mm-hmm. like just respond to something in a weird way that makes you go, hmm, maybe it's you, and you don't have to write anything into the script about it. You don't spend fifteen minutes proving that it's not Borges or throwing a scene where like. Eh, Borges is doing something shady. Just throw it in there. Because at this point, yeah. we have no idea who it is. Elle is like, you know what? We can help you talk to these We can women. We can give you inter- interview strategies. I specialize in sex crimes. I speak Spanish. And the cop is asking how they even get to these women. JJ says, well, we can hold a press conference. We'd let everyone know what we're looking for. And Hotch is like, well, what about the attorney general? She wants us to bounce <laughs> Navarro says, don't worry about her. I can convince her to let you stay. We can have the press conference. All I've got to do is figure out what to say. I, I, I like that line so much there, the whole uh, don't worry about her, because it's, it's almost like they're they're in a vampire show. And there's like the vampire rules like, you know, oh, the owner of the house has to invite you in. Otherwise, the vampire can't get in the house. It's like, hey, DA lady invited us in. Yes, but this is my house. It's like, sure, she said, get out. Like, I'm the only one who can disinvite you because I am the one who invited you. So, <laughs> you know, it's a technicality, but nevertheless, you're still on the case. I, I, I like that Liz address it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Navarro needs help on a press conference, so who do we have to help him out? Obviously, we have JJ. Oh, thank goodness. I mean, why else is she there? Like, she she really isn't going to liaise with the press when she's down there, because you know you would assume that they don't you know work in the same rules and structures and systems. But ah, we found a way to work her in. This was like one of the few <laughs> clever things in the script this week. I thought. <laughs> so she tells Navarro to be forceful but respectful to tell them to please come forward with any information. The only, the one thing that we do know about this criminal is that he won't stop offending until he has stopped. Navarro says the reporters will ask why look for a rapist when we're trying to catch a killer. And JJ says, well, you don't need to mention the killer. Just tell them you care about the women in this town and that you're committed to catching the man who hurt them. And then Navarro says, well, why are we looking for the rapist? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, really. Explain and, it to me, please. <laughs> yes. Morgan says, because this man committed a sexual homicide, we can all, homicide, we can also assume that he was once a rapist. It's easier to track a rapist than a killer because you can have witnesses still, basically, is his point. Yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah, assuming that it's not a rape slash murder where the, the rape victim has been killed, the rape victim, at least assuming they're willing to, can provide yeah. some information. Yes. Right. You can also maybe determine the reason that he's killing, the, what's the stressor, as they like to call it. As far as they can tell, the first killing happened about two years ago. So what happened to the unsub during that time? Maybe it was a loss of job, a loss of love. Maybe he was just released from prison. Whatever it was that made him feel frustrated and angry, that's why he started killing. So you should be talking to victims who reported rapes just before that first murder two years ago. Hopefully the press conference will bring some of those women forward. Um, But they also want to head out and just talk to some of them directly. 
They say you should use all the female officers you have that can help put uh, your potential victims at at ease. And they say, well, we don't have any female officers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's funny in in a way, but it's also, yeah, this is the problem with your machismo culture. (laughs) It's like you, you don't have any women who are able to, in your culture, take on positions of power. Well, that's... That's going to be a cycle that's never going to change. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say, they're very, even, even the other than Navarro, the other cops don't seem to have any problems with L and JJ being there and being in positions of power. So, it, mm-hmm. at least it's not a situation where the cops themselves are like saying, oh, women cops, oh, stupid idea. It's just, it's just not done. So, I, I think right. that it, it's a little more, it's a little less of an indictment. Than, than it might be if it was like, oh, well, women can't possibly be cops. You know? Yeah, and it's interesting that the one woman that we see in Mex- Mexico uh, so far that's in power, the attorney general, even though she is and she's tough and she is in power, you know, you have a cop like Navarro saying, oh, don't worry about her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, well, at least then they will address it again uh, a little later, so yeah. Yeah. Um. But anyway, after they remark they don't have any female officers, L says, you do now. <laughs> Thank you, L. Uh, so we cut to L and a cop. Is this cop Bor- Borquez? I, I couldn't Borquez, remember yeah. if that was. Yeah, okay. this, is so we, this is the only other cop that we've had a name of. So, yes. Yeah. So uh, L and Borquez are out walking the streets. And L says she's been talking to so many women, she may have forgotten how to speak English. Uh, Borquez says, well, the, she looks Latina. And El says, I got a good reason. My mother is Cuban. Okay, cool. And uh, Borquez says, well, now they have a woman who saw the report, the news report, and wants to talk to them. So we cut to them walking up to the woman who works in a restaurant. El asks if they can talk to her about the rapist. And the woman is like, do you even care? <laughs> What? She says it. She repeats herself. Do you even care? Most of the time, nobody around here cares what happens to women. Nobody does anything about it. That's why nobody talks to the police. Elle says, well, what can the police do if no one comes forward when a crime is committed? So the woman thinks about it. She pauses for a second. And then she says, well, the man who attacked her is a stupid dog. He's a coward. He came up from behind, started trying to rape her. She turned around, started hitting him. She scratched him. She made him bleed. That's when she saw he was wearing a dress. So she started laughing in his face, calling him a pathetic woman. And he was so scared that he ran away like a little boy. Elle asks when this happened. She says two years ago. And Elle says, if you weren't afraid of this man, why didn't you report him? She says, I just told you. What good would it do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, this is a little preachy. This whole exchange here. I mean, like, like, go. Oh, do you even care? I'm like, I'm here. You called the tip line. I showed up. So yeah, I care, lady. You know, yeah. uh, you know. And she doesn't be as antagonistic towards L, right? Because it's clear L is not a Mexican police officer, even though she thinks she just joined the the, the staff. I say, you have what now? <laughs> so it's a little different. So, I, preachy, 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 preachy. Yeah, and it also shows, in an interesting way, I guess, it kind of shows the the machismo is not just accepted by the men, but the women sort of fall into 
that as well. Well, that, that's kind of been the whole s- s- episode, hasn't it? Been it's like, yeah. oh, well, a woman would only be the one who drinks tamarind water because men get to drink tequila. You know, it's like, okay, what if a woman wants to drink tequila? Oh, oh please, you don't understand our culture. Like, oh, I think I understand. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like I said, there's certain aspects of culture that you go, okay, well, that's just the way they do it there. And then there's certain ones who are like, yeah, but anywhere where that's done probably needs to change. So... You don't want to step on culture and automatically say, oh, it's backwards. But at some point, you have to move into modern day and give equal rights and things like that. Right. We cut back to the police station. Elle is saying she claimed it happened two years ago in August. And Reed says the first murder happened in September. Gideon thinks this woman could possibly have been the stressor with her laughing at him. This act may have made him basically impotent so he couldn't rape again. And perhaps he thought he could rape older women as they'd be less dangerous, but he couldn't. And maybe he wound up killing him. As they are talking, the the woman from the restaurant and several other women are let in. She says, you wanted us to come forward? Here are six women that were raped by the same man. Prove to us that we're, what we're doing will finally do some good. Then we cut to a mirror view of someone applying lipstick it's probably a man <laughs> you can yeah it's manly looking lips basically puts on the lipstick he says hola and then punches the mirror <laughs> and then he comes out and uh we get a rear view what looks like a elderly woman sitting in a chair but she's, she appears to be lifeless and we see our unsub petting her on the head. Yes. I mean, look. I know that we have an iconic movie called Psycho. You don't have to do this to the letter of the law. This is not an homage or anything like that. Uh, I, this is just lazy. This is very, <laughs> very lazy to do this whole you don't need this scene at all uh other than the setup later when we when they go to the house that this is the house but it's it's no just no on all levels no i you know i get it he's impersonating a woman so of course he's got to put on a high-pitched voice because it sounds like a woman but no (laughs) agreed after a break we then cut back to the police station and navarro is asking the woman from the restaurant uh, how she found all these other women she says, uh, maybe we don't talk to you, but we talk to each other. And Navarro says, well, now you have to tell us your stories, every single detail, because th- this cycle won't end until this man is stopped. And we see a brief montage, I will say, of all the women being interviewed by Navarro or the various BAU team members. And then we cut to afterwards. Elle says they all have the same story. He comes up from behind him in the street, holds a knife to their back, blindfolds them, brings them out to the desert. He also kissed their neck while raping them. And then when he's finished, he liked to ask, how did I do? Gideon says, ah, oh, classic power reassurance behavior. And Navarro's like, what the what now? <laughs> L says, power reassurance rapists lack confidence. They can't develop normal relationships with women. He's passive. He's unathletic. He most likely fantasizes that the victims are his girlfriends and are And of the different types of rapists, he's probably the most likely to be dissuaded if the victim begins to scream or struggle in any way. 
Gideon says, is that all of the characteristics of the power reassurance rapist? <laughs> Thank you, Professor <laughs> Gideon. Ever, ever the teacher, yes. And uh, Reed is like, well, there's one more. But before he can finish, a cop interrupts him saying, excuse me, I've been looking at the forms for the victims and four of them worked at the same factory. And Reed finishes his sentence, which is, he most likely lives and works near the victim. Dun, dun, dun. Good work, Borges. <laughs> yes. So they uh, get up and rush over to the factory and the owner is talking to them. She says she's owned the plant for nine years. She does not allow men that she hires to abuse women. So she doesn't believe the person they're looking for works there. They tell her the man that they're looking for wouldn't be openly abusive. He'd be shy around women, especially her. She probably would intimidate him. He probably can't even look her in the eye. And she says the only way she could be a woman and run this plan is to make sure every man feels that way. So they ask her how many men work there. And she says over 50. So they ask her if they can look through the employee records. We cut to them rifling through the records and they find plenty of men that could fit the profile. Reed has found three dozen. Um, they say the boss wasn't kidding around about how she handled her male workers. Almost all of the guys that worked there had a citation for citation for lewd behavior. Uh, they'd get one warning and then if it happened again, they would get fired. Which which doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily go to the boss lady's uh, declaration that uh, nobody here would do anything. I wouldn't allow it. Well, I, you wouldn't allow it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seems it happens a lot there. And so basically 90% of the people who work there uh, would do something like that. Right. Yeah. Hotch says uh, he wouldn't mess with her. And El says, afraid of a woman, Hotch? <laughs> Just my wife. Just my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Morgan, which would have been a better line, but uh, Morgan says, shoot, I'd be afraid of her. And uh, Navarro brings up a guy who was charged with beating up a prostitute, but RN sub wouldn't do that. So they have to figure out some way of narrowing all these guys down. Hotch says, we need to find something that would make our guy stand out. And Navarro says, from what you told me, this guy completely lacks machismo. Bing, 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 uh, bing. He has none of the confidence of a typical man in Mexico, even with the knife in his hand. And after raping the women, he asks, how did I do? El says any guy with confidence doesn't ask if he does, a, if he's done a good job. He just assumes it in bed and at work. This sets Hutch off Oh, in bed and at work. And he and El go back to the owner. El says this guy desperately wants to impress you. No matter how small the job, he always wants your approval. Hot says he may constantly asks, ask, how did I do? The owner thinks for a moment, comes up with the name. Oh, that's Pablo Vargas. <laughs> He's been on vacation since four days ago. The day, which was the day of Lupe Trejo's killing. Hot says, what does he do here? She says he's the floor manager of sex, Sector 16, women's plus sizes. Oh, dear. So I wonder where he gets the clothes that he wears. <laughs> Problems, yeah. but okay. <laughs> yeah, they ask for his address and any other information that she can provide. Then we cut to Elle knocking on a door while the police wait to storm in, but no one answers. Elle listens at a window, 
says there's a TV on, someone's inside. They break down the door. Morgan does not get to do it, and they, they rush in. in. Yeah. I also, I also, I also, I will say because because the the Mexican police are like leading the charge. I was a bit upset that no one said claro, claro. <laughs> <laughs> ah, sí, claro. Uh, the they rush into a room and they see the woman that we saw from behind in the chair before, and they turn the chair around. And yes, straight out of Psycho, it's a skeleton with a wig on it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Norman Bates would be uh, offended because uh, <laughs> this has already been done. So uh, she calls for, Al calls for Hot. She comes in and he <laughs> looks at the skeleton and says, little late. <laughs> okay, Hotch. You're trying. You're uh, little, trying. A little gallows humor, yeah, but it's the best kind, quite frankly. <laughs> yes. Uh, this skeleton has all the jewelry on it, including Anna's necklace. Hotch is looking at, a, at, a, at the wall, which has photos of all the rape victims. Clearly, we're in the right spot. Uh, we cut to more people walking home, I assume from church. We see two elderly women walking along. One says goodnight to the other. And then we get a quick flash of someone grabbing a big knife. More danger. Danger, yeah, this is just the, the quick setup. It's it's quick, it's subtle. I I do like when they do this, where it's like, look, you know, this is the victim. You don't need to know more than that. Just we're about to gain momentum towards the end of the episode. Boom! Pay attention. <laughs> Wake up. Put your put your nuts down and your chips and your <laughs> fruit, whatever you're eating as a snack, popcorn down. Pay attention. Yeah, put your tamarind juice down. We cut back to the police station. Navarro is saying we have a name, but how do we find him? Hot says if we can figure out how he targets his victims, we can get ahead of him. Navarro's eyeing the chalkboard where Borquez charted the names of all the rape victims. And he recognizes the same name as one of the murder victims. So he's looking back and forth between the board of the murder victims and the, and the rape victims. Uh, and they realize that all the murder victims have the same maiden names as the last names of the rape victims. So they figure out, oh, he's killing the mothers of all the rape victims. The last victim on the board is Malagros Villanueva, who was our restaurant um, worker from before. So they figure out, oh, our unsub is going to kill her mother. It's a stretch. <laughs> Even so, I mean, because they didn't actually confirm that these were their mothers, like, immediately. It was just like, oh, the names yeah. were in the same order. that They just naturally knew they were their mothers. It, it, was, it was just a jump. I mean, they, they would have gotten there. Uh, mm -hmm. But okay. All right, fine. I mean, they were like, oh, well, you know, there's two, there's two victims. There's, like, two more victims that are dead than we have the rape victims. Like, oh, but one is... Obviously, the sister, who we said might have been still be hiding something in a shame. Well, okay, so she was a rape victim. That's what she was hiding. Uh, and, you know, the other uh, woman whose uh, necklace had been stolen from her mother also didn't mention that she had been raped. So, like, those last two, like, oh, okay, they just didn't report it. I got it. So, they, yeah. they wrapped it up. This part just wasn't very clear until you, like, watch it a few times and go over it. Like, oh, okay, it does make sense. I thought, actually, at this point that I had found a sort of a logic flaw uh but the end of the episode explained that to me so we'll get into that in a bit 
So they rush back to the house of uh, Milagro's mother, again, kicking the door. And again, it's not, it doesn't get to be Morgan. Uh, and I, he doesn't pro- protest or form any kind of complaint, but come on, Morgan. Uh, so they start searching the place. Morgan and L clear clear their way through the house and out to the backyard. And they find uh, what appears to be a woman's body face down. They call out their location. They turn over the body. Surprise! Couple of surprises. First of all, this person is still alive, uh, coughing blood and obviously very wounded, um, hurt badly. But, oh, surprise, because it's also a man. A what? Yeah. Then we see our trees rustling sort of in the back uh, backyard there. And all of the rape victims come out and they all have weapons of some kind, knives, sticks, things. Uh, they all are Get holding those, yeah, weapons. Yeah, they just grab whatever they could find. Yeah. And uh, Milagros says uh, he pretended to be a woman. Now he doesn't have to pretend so we can get an idea of the kind of wounds they must have uh, inflicted here. Indeed. Uh, sometimes subtlety is better than full on explanations. Yeah. And that was going to be what I thought was a logic flaw, which was, wait, all of these women, they talk to each other and they know they've all been raped, but they don't know that all of their mothers have been killed. That didn't make sense to me, but they knew and uh, they were planning on their own yeah, revenge, uh, I guess. Exactly. It was Not that this was part of their plan, but I think, and they might not have known until they got together and discussed, you know, like, oh, wait, your right. mom's dead, your mom's dead. Because like, again... It wasn't until the newspaper started reporting the story uh, that I'm sure like, hey, my mom just died too. Hey, my mom just died too. Hey, my mom. Whoa. Like they can put it together faster than the cops because they had all the information, which does make sense that they were lying in wait long before the cops figured it out. So now we cut to uh, the police station and our attorney general gets to whoosh in one more time to talk to the women. She turns around and uh, Navarro asks her if they're going to be charged. She says, charged? Why? They were just defending their homes. He responds to her in Spanish, and we don't get the translation, even though we've been getting the translation this whole time before, but we don't get the translation. And the attorney general basically says, exactly. Uh, she says, good job, A- Agent Gideon. And then she rushes out with her entourage. <laughs> <laughs> As they are leaving, Hotch asks Navarro what he said in there. And he laughs and says, oh, it's just an old Mexican proverb. And then he hands him his card and says, please don't hesitate to call next time you're in town. Navarro tells Gideon that he's thinking of starting a BAU in his district. And Gideon says, well, it'll take a lot of training. Uh, He thanks them and everyone says goodbye. And I'm thinking, what? We don't find out what the the, do I have to type in to Google Translate? (laughs) But no, because Hotch gives us our closing quote. Mexican proverb, the house does not rest upon the ground, but upon a woman. And that, unless I missed some after credits, <laughs> was the end of our episode. Yeah, AJ. and we're not talking about the Wizard of Oz, where the house was resting on the woman who ended up being the Wicked Witch. No, we're, this is just you know, the foundation of the family. Right. Like the women, you know, right. Yeah, let's treat women better. I mean, that, that clearly goes without saying. I, I, do, I was a little disappointed that when Gideon uh, and Navarro had their last exchange, that Navarro didn't say... It's okay. I don't mind a little hard work. Besides, Max Ryan is coming down to help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. That would have been a, a nice last little 
dig at Gideon. And I, I think Navarro, I think ultimately was kind of, was proved right. You know, the culture and the family are very strong influences. Yes, evil is evil, but it's going to, a culture is going to affect how things are done and how you would investigate a case. Absolutely. I think we, we, we definitely learned that, that uh, e- even in America, like, you know, when we go from all the big town, big cities versus small towns, the BAU has to learn to act differently. So why would this be any different? Like whatever the local culture is, it doesn't matter that it's international. Um, just you got to know where you are to understand how the case developed and how you're supposed to proceed. So, uh, I mean, from that standpoint, okay. I mean, overall, eh, eh, the episode, eh, yeah, it's forgettable. It's very forgettable. It's not, it's not the most interesting case. Um, you know, we can, we can barometer it and check and see if we won. Uh, but I think, uh, a lot of that is colored by the fact that, uh, did we really even investigate this case? <laughs> yeah. You know, I just felt like, I mean, first of all, I had obviously because of culture differences, I had a problematic thoughts about this episode, which I don't mind if something is making me feel uncomfortable and, and okay, we're taking a deeper look and, and fig- learning about something and, and maybe why do we feel the way we do about things. So I, I didn't mind that that was problematic, but I did feel like overall there was a lot of repetition, a lot of uh, explaining versus a lot of just going over details instead of uh, giving us more interesting character moments that that we tend to get more of usually in these episodes uh, in criminal minds yeah uh, and, and also it, there's the disjoint because we kind of jumped ship halfway from the original case to a completely different case like it, it right. never it wasn't even about miguel and and his sister anymore it was uh it's malagros and uh, all the women and that, that's fine that 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 is a point that's raised, but we kind of forgot about it. We never see that first family again. <laughs> right. Right. Good point. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned it. Did they win, AJ? Do we think they won? I mean, it, I'm going to say yes. Um, basically because they were pushing a police force that wouldn't even have probably looked into the case at all into finding uh, enough of the information. I mean, the, the press conference that they held allowed the Malagros and the rape victims to come forward, which allowed the, you know them to at least get together and uh, take justice into their own hands. Uh, you know, yeah, oh, there were more victims after they arrived. But again, they were hamstrung by the fact that they weren't really running point on this one. They were kind of helping uh, direct it. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a win, uh, if only for... Uh, for the fact that they took they took the ball and and, and at least threw it towards home plate. <laughs> All right. So where does that uh, leave our score for for the season so far? Uh well, we are. Wow. Imagine that. This was episode nineteen. Really. Uh that's twelve wins. Twelve wins. Two losses. Five uh, pushes. So not too bad. I'll, I'll take that record. Absolutely. Um, so. Next, I guess we like to do a little tribute to one of your other fond, uh, fond pursuits, which is trivia. You like to give me a little quiz at the end of each episode. If you're this is your first time here, 
first of all, welcome. And here's where we do the quiz part of the show. Yeah. So three <laughs> questions for you. Uh, I thought we were going to get some resolution on some of our predictions, but alas, <laughs> we did not. <laughs> one of these days we'll learn what that child's name is. Uh, I promise you that. I just have no recollection as to when it is. <laughs> Maybe before the end of the season. <laughs> Who knows? It would be funny. The longer this goes, the funnier it gets. Uh, yeah, three yep. trivia questions here. Uh, no multiple choice on the first two, but uh, they are based on the episode we just saw, or at least uh, inspired by. Here is your first trivia question, sir. What group took the word machismo up the charts in 1988 as it was the name of their album, which became a top 10 hit on the Billboard Soul charts? Once again, what group took the word machismo up the charts in 1988? Wow. See, it might be a trap to go for a group such as Menudo. I don't I don't think that's going to be the answer. I'm not I don't recall the Machismo album although I was certainly listening to popular music in 1988. <laughs> what group I'm going to try to give a, a random guess. You said the Soul Chart? Mhm. The Soul Chart, 1988. Oh, good Lord, AJ. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad that I can edit so much of this guessing time out. Please do. <laughs> um, <laughs> AJ, I really can't recall. So I am going to go ahead and say the Baja Boys. <laughs> Baja Boys. You mean the Baja Men? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what they were called, right? Yeah, well, Boys to Men, yeah. They <laughs> started out as the Baja Boys. No. Yes, the Baja Men. Who let them dogs out? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. The, there was a clue in the question. I said they took the word machismo up the charts. Word up! Oh, it was Cameo. It was Cameo, the yeah. album after Word Up. This was their follow-up. And it was a top 10 hit? On the Billboard Soul charts, yes. <laughs> All right. There you go. I, I, I enjoy Cameo, but go on. Yeah, there's a bit part in the episode. Uh, all right. So this episode <laughs> took place in the town of Allende del Sol. Uh, so here's your question. Meryl Streep, Jeremy Irons, Glenn Close, Winona Ryder, and Antonio Banderas all starred in a 1993 film which was based on a novel by Isabel Allende. What was the name of this film? What was the year again on that, AJ? 1993. Huge cast. Streep, Irons, Close, yeah. Ryder, Benedettis. I'm trying to remember because... I knew that author's name and I didn't even, I should have knew you would have <laughs> gone there. And I didn't, I don't recall. It's not coming to me. I'm wondering if the musical nine was based on, the, no, that's not it. I just remember Banderas was in that, but I don't remember the rest of the cast because I never saw the movie. 
I don't remember at all. I'm going to say the House of the Blue Leaves. Oh, so close. So close. Of course, we're going to be talking about the Casa uh, based on the uh, fractured Spanglish of this episode. This would be Casa de los Spiritos, the House of the Spirits. Almost. <laughs> Almost. You pulled house. I thought you had it. <laughs> house of the Blue Leaves. Isn't that where uh, where Kill Bill has the fight scene? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't remember. That just sounds like a, na- a name I vaguely remember. I don't even remember. Yeah. Apparently, uh, that was. apparently uh, critics hated it, mainly because there's all these white people playing Spanish characters. It didn't uh, really work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, that was in the 90s. Uh, whitewashing still exists, but not that badly, I don't think. Right. Um, all right. My favorite question of every week is, of course, where we ask you to multiple choice select what the plot of next week's episode that we're going to be covering is. So I ask you, which of these is the plot of Criminal Minds, Season 1, Episode 20? Charm and harm. Charm and harm. Is it A? A romance novelist finds one fan becoming a little too obsessed with her stories. Is it B? Online dating just got a little more dangerous, as there appears to be a serial rapist using a popular website. Is it C? The BAU has to track down a killer who likes to wear a different disguise to every murder. Or is it D? Voodoo is the apparent link between multiple crime scenes in three different cities. I'm disappointed that none of my choices involve a happy little leprechaun (laughs) and a breakfast cereal. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about putting that as one of the choices, but it seemed like you probably wouldn't expect that to be the actual answer. (laughs) Uh, I want Smorgan's gold! Yeah, I, I, I have no idea, um, AJ, as usual. <laughs> so I'm gonna give a a random guess. Uh, I think I like the one about the. I think it was C. They they wore different out. What did you say? Different outfits. Different. A different disguise is what I said. Yes. Different disguise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I don't have any. I don't, I'll go with that. I have no idea. Okay, well, you know, in a lot of voodoo rituals, they use these things called charms, which is uh, why the correct answer is C. The BAU has to track down a killer. Uh, <laughs> you got it right. Uh, <laughs> Come on, I got to say good uh, Well done, yes. Uh, the BAU will be tracking down a killer oh, who yeah. wears a different disguise. To each murder. Yeah, really well done on my part. A, B, C, D, meeny, meeny, miny, mo. Uh, but hey, I'll take it. Anytime you 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 uh, l- listen to the answers and say, I have no idea, then I've done a good job. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Looking forward, uh, I, I believe there's three episodes left in this season. So we are closing in on the season one finale. Very quickly. I'm excited. I am too. And it feels like we got to 20 so very quickly. It, it didn't. It did not drag even through a little bit of a slosh in the middle there when the episodes were not necessarily uh, <laughs> uh, fuel a surprise winning. 
Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the the end of the season, which I I thought was a great intro, and uh, maybe we'll do. Not pro- making any promises, but maybe we'll do some kind of season one recap podcast uh, to wrap things up. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, folks, that's the show for this week. I know. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you had a good time. I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation, regardless of how you felt about the episode. Uh <laughs> And I I hope you uh, had fun like always. We always have a good time with these. So please be sure to help us out by subscribing to, rating, or, or reviewing our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And spread the word. Let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at any time. Anytime, really, anytime at all. <laughs> <laughs> at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter where we announce our new episodes uh, at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kuntad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Macho, macho man. I've got to be a macho man. The village people. <laughs>